You're listening to the Mount Pleasant Podcast. To learn more about our church, visit us online at www.mpbc.church. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. What a journey we've been on. We've making our way through Hebrews, coming to this wonderful chapter noted often as the Hall of Faith. We've been looking at the lives of the faithful. It's been a veritable who's who of Bible greats, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham. We've seen their amazing faith, Abel and his acceptable offering, Enoch and his closer walk with God, Noah and his courage to build a boat when it had never rained. And then last week, man, was that gut-wrenching. Abraham and Isaac on Mount Moriah. What have we seen? We've seen that all of these men have taken God at His Word. And what does this mean for us? The same thing. If you and I are to be in proper relationship with God, we, we simply must take Him at His Word. We must o- obey His Word, do what He tells us to do. Today we're going to see the lives of three other heroes, heroes of the faith, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Now if you've been with us, you've been following along the way, you'll kind of note something's been happening whether you realize it or not, but we've actually been going through the book of Genesis. Have you kind of caught that? We, we saw Abel, we had to go all the way back to the first family, right? And we've actually worked our way all the way through 22 chapters. And we make our way to, to Genesis chapter 23 through 50 today. You say, you're kidding, you're going to cover that much? (laughs) We're actually going to cover that much ground, but obviously not all of those chapters. But we're going to see some neat things today by way of these three men, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And we're going to see it by way of their last words, the last things that they ever did. You've heard the saying, famous last words. That's what we're going to see in the lives of Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. As I prepared this week, it got me thinking about famous last words, and I started looking up some famous people's famous last words, and I found a few I thought were interesting. You might too. Perhaps uh, you might find interesting the last words of the great artist of the 1400s, Leonardo da Vinci. He said, I have offended God and mankind because my work did not reach the quality it should have. (laughs) Spoken by a true perfectionist. Da Vinci was an amazing perfectionist. How about Babe Ruth? You know of Babe Ruth, of course, the great Bambino, the baseball great. His famous last words, literally the last words he ever said were these words, I'm going over the valley. How about that? Have you heard the name John Jacob Astor IV? He and his wife were on the doomed voyage of the Titanic. Because he was rich, because he was famous, He was given a seat on a lifeboat as the Titanic began to sink. But he gave up that seat and said these last words pictured there to the ladies and his wife in the lifeboat. He said, the ladies have to go first. Goodbye, dearie. I'll see you later. He was found later floating frozen in the Atlantic Ocean dead. His last words were words of chivalry. (laughs) 
Oh, have we lost that today? On September the 11th, 2011, what we know of in this country is 9-11. Todd Beamer was a passenger on United Airlines Flight 93. He and 11 others of the 44 passengers on that plane thwarted the attempt of Al-Qaeda hijackers to crash the plane that they were flying on either at the White House or the Capitol. We'll never really know for sure, but it was heading to D.C. Todd Beamer's last words were recorded on a cell phone call. The phone was left on an open line right before they rushed the cockpit, forcing the plane to crash in a field in Pennsylvania short of its target. These were Beamer's last words. Are you guys ready? Let's roll. That's the words of a hero. Let's roll. That same cell phone call recorded the fact that just prior to saying those words, Todd Beamer, who was a believer in Jesus Christ, led those 11 passengers who sacrificed their lives in reciting the Lord's Prayer in the 23rd Psalm. How about a little closer to home? My grandfather, C.M. Brown, who I speak of often, spoke his last words in the hospital at Wilkes Regional to my father. I was in the room. Grandpa removed the oxygen mask. Asked my dad, just motioned for him to lean down. My dad leaned down. And my grandpa said to my daddy, check on your mama every night. And my daddy did. My dad said, I'll take good care of her. You don't have to worry. And he did. Famous last words. They have amazing impact, don't they? Perhaps the most famous last words ever spoken, I would argue, came from the lips of Jesus Christ on Calvary 2,000 years ago when he said these words, It is finished. Tetelestai in Aramaic, one word. Literally in Aramaic, it means paid in full. It is done. Indeed, salvation <clears throat> is offered to all who will receive Christ by faith. And that is the point of Hebrews. That is the point of chapter 11. It is the hall of faith. The Apostle Paul has been sharing with these first century Jews, many of whom have turned to Christ, that they're to keep on keeping on. And they do so not by religion, not by works, not by purifications, Judaism, washing their hands and bringing lambs to the temple, but by simply trusting, having faith in Jesus. Helping them to understand that they may know God through His Son. Faith. That's what we're going to see today again through these three men, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Words spoken at the end of their lives. You've made your way there. Hebrews 11. Pick up in verse 20. Follow along. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. And 
this was at the end of his life. Verse 21, by faith Jacob went what? What was he doing? Dying. These are his last words. Blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. Verse 22, by faith Joseph, what, what, was, what was this? At the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave direction concerning his bones. Oh, this will be interesting as we come to that in a few moments. Of all the events that the Holy Spirit could have chosen to chronicle the faith of these men, these three men, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, he used their last words, literally the deathbed words of these three men. As we look at the lives of these three patriarchs, I'm reminded of the fact that these three men were never able to put down roots in the land of promise. You might remember that Isaac and Jacob lived in tents, much like Abraham, who had been called from his homeland to come to a place that God originally didn't tell him where he was going. Joseph himself never lived his adult life in the promised land. He lived his adult life in Egypt. None of these men were ever really able to put down roots in the land of promise. You'll remember verse 9 from a few weeks ago. Go back in your Bibles. You're in verses 20 through 22 in, he, in uh, Hebrews 11. Go back to verse 9. Hebrews 11:9. 9. By faith, he, that's Abraham, went to live in the land of promise. As in a foreign land, living how? What did he live in? Tents. He never put down roots. Just like Isaac. And just like Ake, uh, Jacob, who were heirs of the promise. And what was that promise, church? It was the promise to Abraham that from him all nations would be blessed. But how? Because eventually a son would come, a descendant from Abraham, the Messiah. The one who would come, the Lamb of God, and take away the sins of the world. Jesus would ultimately one day be born some 2,000 years from the time the promise was made. Isaac. We saw him last week. The last time we saw him, he was lying on top of an altar. Remember, he was a Na'ar. What is that? N-A apostrophe A-R. In Hebrew, that means that he was an adolescent. He was a lad. He was a teenager. David, King David, was a Na'ar when he slew Goliath. Same word in Hebrew. You might remember the fact that he was bound. As a teenager, let's assume he was 15 or 16, he would have certainly been strong enough to have fought off his father, Abraham. Isaac was born when his dad was 100. I think a 15-year-old could fight off a 115-year-old, don't you? What did we see last week? We saw the faith of Abraham, but also the faith of Isaac. And really, it's interesting because... Not a whole lot more is said about Isaac other than he traveled around a lot in tents and every time he stopped, he dug a well, which makes sense. You've got to have water to live. Perhaps what Isaac is known best for is what happened to him by way of his wife and his youngest son. Do some of you know what happened? They tricked him. They tricked him. Now, to see this, guess where we're going to have to go to see this? 
Genesis. Go there with me. You're making your way all the way back to Genesis 25. Genesis 25, verse 21. As you're turning there, Genesis 25, I mentioned a moment ago, Rebecca. What we're going to find here as we get to verse 21 is that Rebecca is barren. What does that mean? She can't have a baby. She can't get pregnant. And it's interesting that this is Isaac we're talking about, but Isaac's mom, Sarah, Abraham's wife, had had the same problem, remember? And, And it's interesting that Isaac would have Jacob as one of his sons, and Jacob's wife, Rachel, would have trouble too getting pregnant. All three of these ladies waited patiently. Sarah, Rebecca, and Rachel. Maybe you find yourself there today. We arrive to verse 21, and Isaac is going to pray for his wife. Watch this. And Isaac, Genesis 25, 21, prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Now watch verse 22. The children... So she's got more than one in the womb, right? Struggled together. We know they're twins. Within her, I mean, they're fighting. You know, moms, you know when the baby starts moving and this guy, I mean, just like, she's like, wow, this is crazy what's happening inside of me. And she said, if it is thus, why is this happening? They must have been beating her to death. And so she went to inquire of the Lord, Lord, this is, this is amazing what's happening inside of me. And the Lord said to her, Rebecca, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you shall be divided. That means they're fighting. They're going to be at war. And the one shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. So there it is. The promise that the older would once again serve the younger, just as Isaac the younger would rule over Ishmael the older. Jacob would be the one from whom the covenant promise of Abraham would be fulfilled. And that promise would flow from Isaac through him, not his older brother. What was his older brother's name? Esau. And you remember how Esau, he came out of the womb and who had a hold of his heel? Jacob. It's like Jacob was trying to pull him back in, right? They were always fighting, even at birth. And Esau was born first. Usually that's through whom the blessing would flow, the oldest. Not in this case. Mm, but Rebecca wanted to make sure she had Esau and she had Jacob. Who was her favorite? Jacob. Who was Isaac's favorite? Esau. Oh, it's a mess when we play favorites. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, it creates problems. You got Isaac. His favorite is Esau. You got Rebecca. Her favorite is Jacob. Rebecca had heard the Lord himself speak to her and tell her that the covenant promise was going to flow through the younger. That would be Jacob. And she loved Jacob. That was her favorite. But she wanted to make sure. And here's where this situation arose. She overheard a conversation that Isaac was having with Esau. By this time, Isaac was old and he was blind. He could not see. But he loved Esau and he loved the fact that Esau was a hunter. And Esau, man, he fixed some great prime rib. And he said, go get me a steak and come back and fix it. And so Esau headed off. 
And Isaac said, and when you come back, Esau, I'm going to bless you. <gasps> Rebecca overheard this. She was eavesdropping. She said, Jacob, hurry. While your brother Esau is gone, we got to make sure you get the blessing. Now, let me ask you something, church. What had God said? The blessing was going to flow through whom? Jacob. And nothing could stop that, not even Isaac. It wasn't Isaac's blessing to give. God would have thwarted that whole deal. Do you understand that? You know what God's Word says about a matter, and you're still trying to do it on your own? Don't do that. Don't go outside of what God has said. It makes a mess. Trust the Lord. Rebecca couldn't do it. She said, Jacob, come here, come here. She said, your brother's hairy. I mean, he's really hairy, the Bible says. So hairy that they put animal skins, she did, on Jacob's arms, his hands, and his neck. His neck! My neck ain't that hairy. He must have been a hairy fella. And they're going to try to trick Isaac. What cruel deceit. This whole story, just, it's, it's just wrong. It's wrong when we play favorites. I got thinking about that in my life. I thought, am I playing favorites? Am I playing favorites with my kids? I've got four. My grandkids, I have three. Am I playing favorites here at church? How about you? It's, it's easy to, I mean, I mean we kind of get attached to people. I mean, we have more in common with somebody than another, and we have to be careful, don't we? Sir, you're, 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 you're an employer. You're a boss. You, you might have a lot in common with Jim. You know, your, your boys are the same age, but Bill over here, he doesn't have kids. He's kind of young, and he, he's kind of tempestuous and a little bit arrogant, and so you're like, he's a pain in the tail. And, and you, so you just talk to Jim all the time. But, but this, this, this guy, he needs help too, right? So, and you're a Christian. So you understand what I'm saying? It's easy to migrate to people that we like or that kind of fit in our inner circle. But, but when people see that we're playing favorites, what is, how do they feel? How do they feel they're being treated? It's unfair, isn't it? And what does that create? Jealousy. So often, jealousy. And we're going to see that here. People getting mad. By the way, um, this ended up happening, didn't it? Sure enough, while Esau's out hunting the wild game, Jacob comes in with this mess on him. He's got this fake, I mean, he's got some lamb skin or something, some wool type on his arms and his hands and on the back of his neck, and he probably disguises his voice and, <clears throat> hello, father. <clears throat> it's Esau. I don't know why I'm talking about I just, Esau being hairy, I just think he's got a lot of testosterone. He just, rawr, rawr, you know, rawr, rawr, you know. I mean, Jacob may have had a higher-pitched voice. You know, hello, hello, Father. And he tricked him, didn't he? What a mess. What a mess. What about Esau? What kind of guy was he? You remember what he had done? I mean, you'd have to go back and, and, and read it. But prior to even this happening, you know what Esau had done? God was going to bless Esau too. We're going to see that in a moment. But he sold himself out on that deal too in that he sold his birthright, his inheritance as the oldest for what? A bowl of soup. A bowl of stew. 
He had come in from hunting. This is a previous event. Okay? He's tired. He's hungry. He's worn out. And he smelled. Jacob had been fixing his stew. And he goes, oh, let me have it. Let me have it. Said, if I, I'll sell you my birthright. Let me put this in our vernacular. Oh, by the way, uh, the, the thought that came to my mind. He does look hairy, doesn't he? I, I, that's why I, I mean, this is Duck Dynasty going on here. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he's, he's got it going on, you know? Okay. Well, here's the thing. In essence, Esau sold his birthright, his inheritance, which Isaac was a rich man. He sold him, put it in today's money, millions of dollars for what? A $2 bowl of Campbell's soup. Oh, that's what happens when we get tempestuous and we get ahead and we've got to have it right now. Oh, give it to me right now. Rush that relationship. Rush that situation. Don't do it God's way. Do it your way. And we don't show self-control. Talk to the Christians. Christians. So often it's easy not to have self-discipline. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Galatians 5, right? 22, 23. Love, joy, peace, patience, faithfulness, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and, and what? And self-control. And I would argue if you've got self-control, you've got the rest of them. Because if you've got self-control, you can show love when you'd rather show hate. You can show kindness when you'd rather get back with somebody, get even, right? You can show faithfulness if you have self-control. Trust in the Lord. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Esau, mm, what a disaster. No self-discipline. Sold out for a $2 bowl of soup. You know, God, he makes these commands to us to obey him. Do they seem burdensome to you? They shouldn't. God's commands should not seem burdensome. They're guardrails. Aren't you glad there's guardrails on a highway? Yeah, you ever driven up to Beach Mountain? You ever driven up to Grandfather Mountain? I'm glad there's guardrails. Oh, and so my wife does. Pam is petrified of heights. Oh, don't get so close. And every now and again, I'll just kind of steer just, just a little bit. Stop it! Would you quit? You're so mean. Just to mess with her. I'm glad there's guardrails, aren't you? The guardrails aren't inhibitors. The guardrails, like God's commands, are to keep us safe. God gives us commands to obey to keep us safe because He knows best. His commands aren't burdensome. What happened? Well, at the end of Isaac's life, he did pass the covenant blessing on to Jacob just as God had told Rebekah that he would do. But he also blessed Esau, which was also prophesied. And we see it in Hebrews eleven twenty. It's what we read a moment ago. Hear it again. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. And the blessings still came. The covenant blessing came to Jacob, but he also invoked blessings upon Esau because Esau would also be made a great nation. By the way, do you know who Esau ended up marrying? A daughter of Ishmael. Ishmael. Now think back with me. Who was this guy? Remember, that was the son that was born to Abraham first, right? Because Sarah and Abraham got ahead of God and Isaac hadn't been born. Right? They've been waiting for years, and so Sarah says, just take Hagar. Hagar, by the way, was from Egypt. And have this son, and they had Ishmael. And Ishmael, the Bible describes, would be a wild donkey of a man and would fight with his brother. 
literally for all generations. And so Ishmael would have a daughter, and Esau, this pagan guy who sells his soul literally for a two-buck bowl of soup, he now marries into that family. So you got Esau and Ishmael. And, and listen, and this would make the beginnings of the, the Arab nations that we know of today. And Jacob, whose name would be changed to what? Israel. The Arabs, are you with me? Ishmael and Esau have been fighting against Israel since this. This is what happens when we get ahead of God. Ishmael, because we got ahead of God. Esau sold out his birthright. But listen, Esau was a pagan man. It's a shame. You know, I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about this whole um, idea of, of, of Jacob and, and, and the fact that, that he was going to trick his dad, and, and he was part of this whole favoritism thing. But isn't that what happened in Jacob's life too? L let me show it to you. We've seen Isaac. Now let's go to Jacob. Turn in your Bibles. You're still in Genesis. Go to Genesis chapter 48. Genesis chapter 48. And as you're turning there, I'll describe it to you by way of what we read in our text, which is Hebrews 11:21. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. Now, here's what's interesting. At this point, as we get to Genesis 48, Jacob, too, is now old and blind. How about that? Just like his daddy Isaac was. Old and blind. And Jacob is getting ready to bless one of his 12 sons' sons. Joseph, one of his sons, has come, and Jacob says, I'm going to bless your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. And watch this play out. This is, this is so interesting to watch this play out. You've made your way to Genesis 48. Look at verse 17. Okay? Jacob's on his deathbed. When Joseph saw that Jacob had laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, that's the younger one. Now, the right hand symbolizes power. Because, again, at the right hand of God right now, who's at the right hand of God? Jesus, okay? So right hand symbolizes the blessing, okay? Joseph saw that his daddy had put his right hand on Ephraim, the younger son. And it displeased Joseph. And he took his father's hand. Can you see Joseph taking his daddy's hand off of, off of Ephraim's head? And he says, he says, no, daddy, it's got to be on Manasseh's head. Verse 18, and Joseph said to his father, no, daddy, not this way. Since this one, can you see him now taking the right hand and placing his, uh, Jacob's right hand on Manasseh's head? This is the oldest one. You know what I think Joseph thought? He thought, my daddy is old and senile. He's blind and can't see, and he don't know what he's doing. Wrong. Watch. Verse 19 tells us. But his daddy said, Jacob said, I know, my son. He says it twice. I know what I'm doing. He also speaking of Manasseh, shall become a people, and he'll be great. Nevertheless, it's Ephraim, his younger brother. He will be greater than Manasseh, and it's Ephraim's offspring that will, sh that will become a multitude of nations. So guess where, the, where the, the, the family lineage is going to flow through to? It's going to flow through the younger. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you, Israel, he's speaking of himself. Jacob said, By you, Israel, that's what his name was changed to, will pronounce blessings, saying, God make us as Ephraim and as Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim, the younger, 
before Manasseh. Interesting. We've seen this all along. Isaac, the younger, came before Ishmael. Jacob, the younger, came before Esau. And now we see it again. Ephraim, the younger, chosen over Manasseh. All the younger ruling over the older. Now I want to show you a map of the eventual distribution of the land of promise. The, the, what we know of as Israel today or the land of Canaan. This is how it was broken down. Now look how much Manasseh got. Now remember, the, the, bless, the covenant blessing is not flowing through him. It's going to come through Ephraim. But watch this. The, actually, the covenant blessing would flow through Judah. But, but the blessing that was on Ephraim was done by way of Joseph. And look at how much Manasseh got. He got more land than anybody. You see that? But there's Ephraim. See right below Manasseh there on the left side? Now, now this is interesting. Manasseh was still blessed, was he not? He was, just as, as God had prophesied that he too would be blessed. But here's the thing. You look at that as hard as, can we show it one more time? You look at that as hard as you might, and there's one son that you don't see, and this, this jumped out at me because some of you might be saying, wait a minute, Joseph should have had land. He was one of the 12. Where's Joseph's name? Well, Joseph's not listed. Manasseh and Ephraim, his sons are. You go, wait a minute, it says the 12 tribes, right? That's the top left, that's the legend. Well, who's left out? Somebody had to get kicked to the curb. Who didn't get land? Levi. Who's Levi? The preacher, right? He's the priest. It's through the Levitical line that the priesthood would be established, right? And where did he spend his time? At the tabernacle, the traveling tent that had the Holy of Holies and the Ark of the Covenant inside of that thing. And it was his job and his family's job to care for the tabernacle and to, to make peace offerings to the people on the Day of Atonement and so forth. And God commanded the other 11 brothers to tithe to, in essence, Levi, so he could provide for his family and take care of the tabernacle. And you know what? This is still happening today. You say, what do you mean? In a way, I am a Levite. I am a preacher, right? And I'm caring for the church. And I'm caring for you, right? So that when you, when you gave earlier or you gave online or th through the app, a portion of what you give, guess what? Goes where? To me. So I can provide for my family as I care for you and your family. You, you get that? that that's, what, that's, that's how it works. And that's the whole system of the church taking care of the elders, you know, the pastors, as we care for you. So, so it still takes place. And so even though Levi didn't get land, he was still provided. You see that? He was still provided for. I, I didn't want you to miss that. When you're thinking about, wait a minute, where's Joseph? And, and this is how it played out. So, so here's the point regarding Jacob. Jacob, once again... He was playing favorites via Ephraim and Manasseh. He favored Ephraim. And Jacob had been doing this all of his life. He did it with his daddy Isaac when he put on the fake skins. And he also played favorites with Joseph. You remember how he played favorites with Joseph? He made him what? A coat of what? Many colors. And it might as well have been a sign that Joseph wore that says, I'm daddy's favorite. Take a look. 
Hey, none of the rest of you chumps got one of these. Now, Joseph, it's not recorded that he ever did that. But that ended up being potentially a death sentence to Joseph. Because what did his brothers do? They got jealous. And what did they do? They sold him out to a bunch of gypsies heading to Egypt. Remember? And so this, this, is, what, this is what favoritism does. And this is why we're warned. We're eventually on Wednesday nights, we're going to come to the book of James here in a couple of weeks. And, and we're going to see there's a whole chapter on not showing favoritism. It creates such a mess. We, we, we've got to be careful showing, favorite, showing favorites in our lives. I just, I just can't get away from that. Joseph endured many trials in Egypt, didn't he? At no fault of his own. He was sold out by his brothers. Do you know how old he was when his brothers sold him out? Do you know how old he was? Seventeen. How about that? He's being pulled away. They had thrown him in a pit. They had taken his coat of many colors and put blood on it and then showed it to Jacob and said he died. So now Jacob's being tricked. And they hauled him off, those bunch of gypsies. They took him down to Egypt. And what did they do? They sold him on an auction slave block. And who bought him? A man named Potiphar, who was a commander in Pharaoh's army. And Potiphar had this good-looking wife. I mean, she's drop-dead gorgeous because literally Pharaoh and his cabinet could pick any woman in the kingdom. And Potiphar's wife started making a play for Joseph. Do you know how the Bible describes Joseph? It describes him as good-looking in appearance and form. It means he's ripped. <laughs> I can't even do that. That hurts. <laughs> she literally tried to seduce. You, know, you remember what she did? She cast all the servants out of the house, and it's just her and Joseph. She said, come on, Joseph. She tried to seduce him, and he literally, she literally was pulling his clothes off of him. Isn't that amazing? And he looked at her, and you remember we were talking about our identity a moment ago when we had the prayer this morning, our identity is in Christ, I'm a child of God, yes I am. You know what he said to her? He said, how can I do this against my God? He identified with God. He showed purity. How old was he by then? How old, how old was he when he was sold out? 17? What? A few months had gone by? Maybe a year? What is he, 18? Maybe? Maybe 19? Are you kidding me? I mean, nobody would know, right? God does. Oh, listen, young people, in this age of promiscuity, in this age of a lack of purity, he was good looking. He was handsome. He could have flaunted it. You know, he could have taken his shirt off on Instagram and said, how do you like me now? You know what I'm saying? He don't, you don't have to do that. Your identity's in Christ. I'm not, some of you are really good looking. Good-looking young people, keep your clothes on, please. Please, okay, okay? And identify in Christ, right? Not in what the world might like about you. Don't make yourself an object. Show purity. Identify in Christ. Don't be a stumbling block to another brother or sister. And Joseph showed purity, and it was fabulous. But it cost him. Oh, it might cost you. You know what happened to Joseph? Well, now Potiphar's wife, she's hacked. What is she still holding in her hands? His cloak, his clothes. 
And she's so mad that when her husband gets back home, she says, look, this guy's undressing in front of me. And Potiphar threw him into prison. Do you know how old Joseph was when he finally got out of prison? 30. 30. What does that mean? It means he spent over a decade in prison and had done nothing wrong. That might be you today. You may be in a prison of sorts, and you haven't done anything wrong. And it's rough. If you, I love Joseph's life. I, I read his life a lot in Genesis. You pick up Joseph about Genesis 29, and you go through the end of the chapter. There's more written about Joseph than anybody. Joseph never complained. He endured. And he was made second in command in the prison to the warden. And finally, through God-orchestrated circumstances, the Pharaoh had a couple of dreams. Joseph was called up because Joseph could foretell dreams, and he told the Pharaoh what was going to happen. And the Pharaoh believed him. And you guess what? Pharaoh made Joseph second in command to himself. How about that? You say, what's that got to do with anything? Guess who ends showing back up at Joseph's feet? His brothers. Because there was a famine in the land for seven years. And they ran out of food in the promised land in Israel. And they all came to Egypt. And they had to come before Joseph. And they didn't recognize Joseph. I was talking to a dear lady over here a minute ago. She said, do you remember me? And I said, ma'am, I'm sorry, I don't. You have to tell me who you are. She goes, I had to ask who you are. Are you Kevin? That's because I knew her from my elementary school days. I don't look like I did in elementary school. I ain't got no hair. Show the picture again. Here's the thing about Joseph. Joseph had changed. They sold him out when he was 17. He's now 30. 13 years goes by. He's got a shaved head like the Egyptians. He's got that headdress on. And the brothers had no idea who they were talking to. <laughs> Joseph could have gotten them. He could have given the order, and they'd have been killed on the spot. Nobody would have questioned it. But remember, how did Joseph identify himself? With God! He said to that woman, how can I do this thing against God? And you know what he said to his brothers? I told you we'd make it to Genesis 50. Here it is, Genesis chapter 50, verse 21. As for you, my brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. That's Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So don't fear, my brothers. I will provide for you and my nieces and my nephews. And thus he comforted them and he spoke kindly to them. And they didn't deserve it. He said, it's okay. It's okay. I know you meant it for harm, but God used it for good. Can you see it that way? All that time in prison, it made sense now. God allowed all of that for this moment. That, that not only would Joseph save literally the known world of that day, he would save his own brothers. He literally saved the nation of Israel so that Christ would come from Israel. How about that? Can you see your circumstances that way? That God has allowed this in your life? Sherwin, I look over there at you, brother. 
Sherman's sitting over there in a neck brace. Sherman goes, yeah, thanks for doing that for me. Yeah, he had an accident, but God's using him because everywhere he goes, he shares about the Lord when he was in the hospital with the nurses and with the doctors. He's giving God the glory, and he's using it, and it's painful, but he uses our pain. He uses the scars, and it can bring the Lord God glory. Reminds me of Jesus. Jesus realized on the cross that what he was doing was God's purpose and plan. He had succumbed to that and surrendered to that in the garden when he said, nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. And so there he is hanging on the cross. And what did he show? Just like Joseph did, he showed forgiveness. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't what? They don't know what they're doing. Never forget, lost people act like lost people. And Christians sometimes just are not far enough down the road of maturity to understand really what they're doing. Will you listen to me just for a moment? It's not even in my notes. Listen to me. This is the road of life of Christian maturity. Maybe you're pretty far down here. That's not to be smug about it or not to be condescending about it, but, but you've been a Christian for a long while, and you're down here. And there's another Christian, and they say they're born again, but man, they ain't acting like it right now. Do you know what this distance is between where you are and where they are? Grace. You have to show grace to them and mercy to them to help them. Try to help them. Yes, lovingly point out, hey, you're missing the boat here, but I'm here to help. Not to condemn, but I'm here to help. And that, that distance is grace. Come along, come on, let me help you. Roll up your sleeves. Oh, it's easy to point fingers. It's another thing to roll up your sleeves. Let me help you. I want to help you. I want to help you. Joseph helped his brothers and saved his entire family. And then we come to that verse, verse 22, of all the things the Holy Spirit could have recorded for us, Hebrews eleven twenty-two. by faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, we're not talking about running out of Potiphar's wife's arms, we're not talking about his faith in the prison for a decade, we're talking about this. Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of his people and that he gave directions concerning his bones. That's strange. I read that and I go, that's weird. He's giving directions. Do you realize what Joseph saw? What God allowed him to see? He saw the 400 years of captivity. Do you see that? To have an exodus to exit something means you've got to go through it. And God showed it to Joseph. And he says, our people are never going back home. By the way, I told you Jacob or Joseph never went back home. Do you know how old Joseph was when he died? 110. Okay, let's do the math. He was sold out when he was 17, 93. He spent 93 years in Egypt. Think with me. Egypt. Pagan or godly? Pagan. Totally against God. And yet he was not swayed by Egypt. Right? We're to be, listen, what was he focused on? It's the Exodus. He's focused on where? Where are they going to Exodus to? The promised land. Who comes along and provides that Exodus? Moses. I like saying that. Moses. Split the Red Sea, and they walked on dry ground. We're coming to Moses next week. Joseph saw the Exodus. 
And at his death, he said to his brothers who, were, who was gathered around his bed, he said, boys, don't you forget my bones. Don't you leave my bones here in Egypt. You pass this story along from generation to generation for 400 years. And when you get out of here, take my bones home. Take them home. Joseph was not swayed by Egypt. Are you? Listen, where's home? Do you see we're like Joseph? Where is home? Where? You go three miles from here. It's on Boone Trail. No! Heaven! We're pilgrims passing through. So guess what this is? Egypt! Do you understand that? That's why we're to be in the world. We're in Egypt, but we're not of Egypt. You see, we're living our 93 years here. We've never seen the promised land. Joseph hadn't seen it since he was 17, never made it back there. We're going to the promised land. Are you being swayed by the world? It's so easy to be swayed. Don't, let me tell you how you can know if you're being swayed by Egypt or not. It's where you spend your time. It's where you spend your time. Can I ask you just real quickly, real quickly, listen. Do you pray? I, I, I know. I, I mean really pray. Like longer than two minutes. Long enough that maybe from time to time your knees hurt. If you get on your knees. So you're being legalistic now. i got to pray on my knees? No. I did this on purpose. I had you stand today because you don't have to get on your knees. We came down here and we prayed. Stand. I'm just asking, do you pray? I'm not saying how long it is. I'm just saying that when we just pray a couple of minutes a day, I promise you we're going to be apt to be swayed by the world because we're not spending time with the Lord. How about His Word? Do you read the Word of God? Do you know how most people read the Word of God? On some little devotion. Some, some, some little two or three verses. Flip some little calendar at the cubicle, at the work desk. Okay, there's the verse of the day. Folks, it's got to be more than that. That's our food. This is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. So many of us have no idea where we're going because we're never shining the lamp. God will speak to you through His Word. His Holy Spirit will interact supernaturally with His Word, and He will give you guidance. He will show you the way. And I'm telling you, when you get in the Word of God, it'll change your life. It'll change your life. This is God. This is a gift to us. This is a gift to us as His believers. It's our GPS. It's our roadmap, and we have the Spirit of God. That's Jesus living inside of us. Through the Holy Spirit to guide our thoughts and our way. Are you spending time? Listen, if not, you're going to be swayed by the world. And you begin to think like the world. There's so many Christians who think like the world on almost every issue. We think like the world about so many things. Things that the Bible is very clear on. And we begin to be swayed by Egypt. Don't be swayed. Sucked into the pattern. It's a vortex. You ever watch the water go down the sink? So many Christians, their testimony is just going down the drain, selling out for a $2 bowl of soup like Esau. Oh, don't do it. Eventually, they would take Joseph's bones back home. You say, how do you know that? It's in the Bible. Listen to it. Joshua 24, 32. That day would come. 
And as for the bones of Joseph, which the people of Israel brought up from Egypt, there it is, they buried them in Shechem, that's in the promised land, in the piece of land that Jacob had bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of money, and it became an inheritance of the descendants of Joseph. They brought his bones home. Do you know what Joseph's bones reminded the people who were in captivity for 400 years? They reminded them that one day we're getting out of here because we're taking Joseph's bones home. Listen, are you listening? We're almost done. Listen, you know what reminds me that I'm going home one day? The empty tomb that has no bones in it. That's my reminder that I'm going home. Today, we've seen the faith of three men, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, all deathbed, end of their lives, showing faith. Hey, was it perfect faith? Did these three cats show perfect faith? No. And aren't you glad? Do you have perfect faith? Do I? No. But God still blesses faithfulness, even when it's not perfect. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief, right? Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Where are they now? Heaven? Yes. Heaven. Who do they see? The promised one that they never saw. Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. At this very moment, they're in heaven with Jesus, the Messiah. The one that was promised. They never saw him, did they? And nor have we. Are you listening? From Abraham to Jesus, guess how many years? 2,000. From us to Jesus, how many years? 2,000. How about that? I've not seen Jesus, have you? But bless God, we have the Word of God. We have the Holy Spirit, which those Old Testament patriarchs didn't have. Every now and again, the Holy Spirit would brush across and into their lives and empower them. But we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Hallelujah. And one day, we'll see the Messiah face to face. The one who said the most famous last words ever spoken. What were those last words? It is finished. Famous last words that brought the possibility of salvation to those who would follow him. Are you following him today? Or are you going with Egypt Remember where you're going. Remember who you are. I'm a child of God. What? Yes, I am. We got to act like it. May we look to Jesus in confidence so that when we come to our deathbed, we may have faith, faith in Jesus, who has secured for us the land of promise, heaven, May we be like Abraham in that we too look for a city whose builder and maker is God. May we too lay up for ourselves treasures where? Here? No, in heaven. Where moths and rust don't destroy and thieves break in and steal. May we store up treasures in the land of promise. Because we know that doing so anchors us to the glories of our future there and frees us from being preoccupied with Egypt here. Don't be preoccupied with Egypt. It's not your home. It's not my home. 
May we live in such a way that our last words, our last deeds reveal our love for Jesus and His kingdom. So much so that we might inspire the next generation to do the same. Just like Isaac, just like Jacob, just like Joseph. Bow with me in prayer, please. Fathers, we bow before you today. Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, they're with you. So is Abraham. Father, I'm thankful that they now behold with their eyes what they had only seen by faith. Their faith, as the song says, has now become sight. Lord, we too are like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. We've never seen you nor Jesus face to face. We look back 2,000 years. They looked forward 2,000 years. So help us to live by faith, to be in the world but not of it, to not be swayed by Egypt, to not let our purity be taken from us and go down the vortex. Father, that we might live a life that, yes, we might spend time in, in, a, in a place that we feel is a prison, but you even use that for your glory like Joseph saw it. What was meant for harm turned out for good. Lord, help us to not play favorites today. And, Lord, if we're in a situation where we're seeing that played out, Lord, help us, Lord, to trust you because we know that you'll help us when we're persecuted. Lord, I thank you that you've given us all that we need for this life because we're your children. Lord, I pray for those here today that may not know Jesus. They've, they've never publicly acknowledged him as Lord. Father, I pray that you might bring them. Bring them right back to this side room so we'll have, we'll have enough time to talk and, and to share and really see what's going on so we might be able to help the one who doesn't know for sure they're saved. I pray for those that might have a prayer need or a burden. We're there for that too. Lord, we'll have the time to share. Lord, I pray as we leave this place now, that you'll take us on this journey. Lord, not just enduring it like we're going through some root canal or something horrible, but Lord, that we enjoy the journey and we might be reminded that this is not our home and we look to the promised land. No, not Israel, not Canaan, but to heaven. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for giving us your spirit. Thank you for your word that might be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. I pray you'll use us as your people, and I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for today's message. Find us at www.mpbc.church and on Facebook at facebook.com mpbcnc. Have a great day, and we hope you'll join us again next week.